This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3428 for Wednesday, the 22nd of September 2021. Today's show is entitled, Bad Disc Rescue. It is hosted by Andrew Conway, and is about 30 minutes long, and carries a clean flag. The summary is, Bad Disc Rescue, Tragedy or Happy Ending. This episode of HPR is brought to you by Archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Hello HPR folks, it's McNallow here, also known as Andrew. I wanted to share with you a, a story. Well, it's a sad story with a... Well, I won't tell you how it ends, but maybe you can guess. Um, um, but what happened was, uh, a few years ago, as my main workhorse laptop, which is literally the one I would use for my work, I bought an Asus ZenBook UX550VD. I think I got that right. It's a pretty modern laptop and it wouldn't run my um, my favourite distribution at times, Slackware 14.2, but I discovered it would run uh, Ubuntu that was out at the time and also Slackware Current. So I went with, in the end I went with Slackware Current. It also came with Windows on it. Now it's a nice laptop, it's got a half terabyte of SSD, 8 gig of RAM, uh, some super fast processor, and actually quite a decent uh, onboard graphics chip. I think it's a 1060 Ti mobile. So it's actually quite a beefy laptop. However, I've never been quite satisfied with it. I've always felt there's something a little bit wrong with it. Um, and uh, in particular, I found that when it was shutting down, it, it used to get stuck. And um, I'd have to do a sort of hard power off along five second press on the power button which I don't like doing because I'm never that sure even though the the hard disk indicator light is mostly out I'm never that sure that's a good idea for the hard drive and so when I did see some hard drive errors I wasn't too worried I thought well that's probably because it was doing something when I shut it down but it was on its way down anyway so you know I never lost any work but I just noticed that yeah, this is the odd hard, uh, hard disk error. And easily fixed too with the old FSCK. But honestly, you know, it was every few months this would trouble me. Um, now, about just over a week ago, I was working away, doing something fairly routine. And it was, it was work. So I was using one of my virtual machines. And it's an old Windows 7 um, virtual machine that I use as a sort of test bed. I mean, Windows 7's end of life now, but frankly, people that use software I support don't take notice of that. So, yeah, I still keep that around. Now, this um, Windows 7 has been fairly stable. I mean, pretty pretty good, actually. Um, but on this occasion, while I was doing something fairly routine, it just froze. I think I was doing something with the browser inside it, and it just froze. I'm like, oh. That's annoying. Well, it's end of life. Now, I also, as a backup, have a Windows 10 machine. 
uh, which I can work on. So I thought, well, yeah, I'll just move over to the Windows 10 thing to do my Windows tasks. And it, it ran into trouble. In fact, it wouldn't even boot up the virtual machine. So I thought, hmm, that's odd. And then not long after that, something I was doing in the host operating system, which I say is Slackware current, which is pretty stable, to be honest, for a sort of rolling sort of testbed release. I mean, it's actually pretty close to being released to Slackware 15 at the moment, actually. But even when it's going through the flux of change, crashes are rare. And I hadn't updated it recently, so I didn't think that was the cause. So I took a closer look, and in, indeed, not I did find some... FSCK did find some maybe more errors than usual. So I thought, okay, well, I've got... Uh, you know, I've got a question mark over the health of this hard drive. So I uh, ran um, uh, smart control, uh, smart CTL, um, and it did find, well, it's a bit of an odd utility. I didn't realise this. I haven't used it that much before. Um, But the first thing to say about it is, if you don't, never used it before, is that it returns immediately. You type smart control, on all the options you want, tell it to do a test. I told it to do a short test first. And actually what it does is it returns immediately, but it's actually doing the test in the background and doesn't notify you when it's done. So that's one tip with Smart, smart CTL. It's, it's, good, it's a good little utility, but uh, the you know the documentation behind it is, doesn't tell you, in my opinion, that important fact about it. Anyway, once I got used to its rather idiosyncratic way of behaving, I found that it said that my hard disk was healthy and all the indicators, which I think was Crucial was the manufacturer, all the, 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 the indicators that Crucial had provided were within threshold. That is, they were fine. Now, actually, I noticed that the, the values it was coming back were like 100 or nearly 100 and the threshold was zero. And what and I looked at what that meant and it's when the value goes below the threshold, you've got a problem. Well, threshold is zero and it can't go negative. So I basically thought that mm, most of the diagnostics that Crucial have provided maybe meet the spec uh, in theory, but are actually useless in practice. So I didn't find uh, Smart CTL told me anything that useful, but I did notice it said that it had a few read errors on the blocks. Now, again, this isn't that unusual. Even going back to spinning hard drives, I believe you can get a bad sector, which I think is a 512 byte, um, uh, area of the hard drive and if it encounters a bad sector it doesn't even tell the operating system I think what it does is it just marks that sector as problematic and uh, and uses a spare sector which it ordinarily won't use from the get-go uh, to take its place. Now obviously you've only got so many spare sectors and I now noticed that I had several hundred of them. Now, several, you've like 433 blocks of 512 bytes. You know, you know, it's 200k. It's not an awful lot of the hard drive. So I'm, I'm not overly worried at this point. And reading online, some people would say, oh, eh, this is a disaster. Plug your hard drive and image the disk immediately. But I think that was mainly in reference to older spinning disks. And other people said, well, you know, this this kind of stuff happens, especially if you've had to like do some hard power downs or had power cuts on a desktop machine or whatever. So I honestly did not find that in itself uh, a, 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 like terribly dramatically bad, but it still concerned me because I didn't understand where I stood. And then I 
I'm still thinking, well, look, I've got two virtual machines that have gone and one other unexplained incident with the disk. So what else can I, what other tests can I do? So I found this utility called Bad Blocks. Now, I actually don't know the details of how Bad Blocks works, but I knew that it would potentially find more errors than uh, than the other methods because it would go around looking for them. Whereas Smart Control, um, I, I don't know quite how it works. Um, but... Uh, uh, but I didn't quite trust it was doing as thorough a, a test as I'd like, even with a long test. Anyway, bad blocks found loads of problems. In fact, when it got past the 433 bad blocks, which is what the uh, the smart CTL had told me, then I was, well, I basically at that point decided to shut down my laptop immediately, add the image of the hard drive and declare the drive inside it as on its way to death. Now, I should say, the language around disks continues to perplex me. Blocks has two meanings. It has one at the hardware level, which means 512 bytes uh, on the device itself. And it also can refer to the block size of the file system, which in the case I was using in my X, X4 Linux system, I think the default that I, I just was using was 4096, so 4K uh, blocks. So that's the first thing that confused me in all of this. Um, the second thing that confused me... Um, is was talk about clusters, but I don't think clusters come into it anymore, or perhaps they're just a Windows thing, I don't know. But there's so much jargon, and it's not clear, especially with blocks, what you're talking about. Anyway, suffice to say, I knew something was wrong, although at that point I couldn't quantify it. So what did I do? Well, I went and got a distro called System Rescue after doing a bit of research, um, and uh, put that in a USB stick, and booted my laptop from it and um uh, and oh and the other thing i noticed at this point is after i'd run bad blocks the first time i rebooted my hard drive the linux partition was no longer reported as a bootable option i don't know why it was in the ufe firmware that declared this i i didn't remove it um in any form. I don't know what caused it to disappear. I still don't know, actually. But again, another serious indication that something was badly wrong with the disk. Anyway, so I'm booting now from the live System Rescue distro. It's actually called System Rescue. Um, and after I, I'd done some research before I even booted up that way, and DDing the disk to image it, I didn't think was good enough. So I went for DD Rescue. I did some research with that and I decided to do the pretty much run it with default parameters and the and um in, a, in other words it wouldn't try and read problematic blocks too many times uh, what it would do is just sort of try once and then sort of move on and I could go back and try again if I found it if I, if I, if I wanted to later but I felt at that point I just needed to get as much data off that disk as possible now, when DD Rescue finished, it took, I can't remember exactly how long it took, maybe an hour or two. It wasn't that slow. Um, and it does a number of passes, I should say. Maybe it was longer than that. I wasn't really, I can't remember exactly. I didn't time it. But when it finished, uh, it reported that 99.99% of my data was safe. Now, I think that's actually the most that it can report. It did give me an exact number too. Um, but the... Uh, even uh, less than 0.01% errors of all the data in the disk is still many megabytes. 
Now, megabytes is a small beer compared to uh, 500 or so gigabytes, which is what the disk could hold, and it was pretty full. It was like 80-90% full. So am I worried about a few megabytes? Well, the chances are I'm okay. But what happens if one of those megabytes was in, inside some critical file in the system, in which case it might not boot, you know, kernel obviously uh, would, would 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 not boot would not be good if a, if a if a small section of it was effectively zeroed um also uh, there might be personal files you know like a photograph or i don't know video or you know some important pdf document receipt of something to do with say the house purchase or whatever you know uh, i had to i felt like i need to know where those errors were um now i the way to do this is DD Rescue tells you exactly where the problems were in the disk. It generates what's called a map file, which is an excellent thing. It's plain text readable. It looks like gobbledygook when you first read it, but it doesn't take long for you with the manual in hand to decode what it's telling you. And it's really telling you in bytes um, where uh, your... Sorry, I think it, no, it's blocks. Sorry, not bytes. It tells you blocks in blocks where errors are uh, on your disk. And, uh, and, and uh, when I went through, I could see that there were quite big ranges of blocks that were identified as being bad, where it couldn't read and rescue from. Um, but there were scattered little chunks all through the file. So there was like maybe, uh, you know, I think they were all, if I remember correctly, um, they, were, they, they were all... They were all quite small, so maybe a few blocks together were bad. So it wasn't like a huge range that were was uh, was was wiped out. But there was little um, um, little little small elements dotted around uh, across the disk that were bad and couldn't be read. Um, so with that in mind, I could you know I could more or less tell you know, I could I could work out to the bite where the where problems would lie and where if files were there in my image the data for those files will be replaced by zero. But which files? Well, the solution to this, after a bit of research, turns out that you can take the image of my disk, and my image is just called sda.img, and you can create a loop device using the command lo setup, um, and you give it the minus o option, and then you specify the offset in bytes where your partition starts inside that image file, and you can tell it that you want it to appear in one of the loop devices. And the live distro I was using used slash dev slash loop zero. So I went for slash dev slash loop one. And with that, I was able to mount uh, the, you're just using the mount command on that loop device. I was able to mount that partition from the image file. And then using something uh, called debug fs so you just start up and you can run it in interactive mode i could enter i think it was the i check command if i give it a, um i think if bite bytes i think it was i gave it uh that that would then tell me which inode number uh was uh, was present at that point in the image and it, it might not actually be it might not be an inode number because it might not be used it might be an empty bit of the disk or used for something else so i if it did give me an inode number, then I could, from the inode number, pretty quickly look up what the file name was using, I think it was called ncheck, name check, 
uh, in debugfs and i was able to do this manually and do some manual calculations of what bytes was wanting so after i got the hang of this i began to you know i found the file i was able to look at it it was a t clearly a text file but it, the, the operating system saw it as being a binary file and less wouldn't display anything nor would cat so i could see i definitely it was correct i was i was, I was finding uh problematic files in the file system and then I thought well this is going to take a while because there's quite a lot you know although it's only a few megabytes they're dotted about all over the disk so I just wrote a python script that would generate lists of commands that could be read into debugfs and debugfs it would then spew out information which was sucked in by another python script which took inode numbers and then spat out all the file names. Now, to my utter astonishment, it took several hours to execute this process. In fact, the, the second step, no, the first step, I left it running overnight. So I don't really, I didn't time it. I don't really know how long it took, but it took many hours. And this may seem surprising. Uh, it certainly surprised me. But of course, it's all optimized, all optimized to work in the other direction. You don't usually, you know, when you type ls in the command line, you're never, you never you type ls file name or ls path. You don't type, type um, ls byte at a, a byte. Or, you know, obviously, everything is constructed to be optimized in another direction. Nevertheless, it seemed to be ludicrously slow. If there's a faster way of doing it, please let me know in the comments or better still do a show for HPR folks uh, on how to quickly look up uh, file names from byte positions in a partition. Anyway... I got what I wanted, a list of files that were problematic. And unsurprisingly, the bigger the file was, the more likely it was to suffer a problem. So my VDI files for both my Windows virtual machines were affected. Also, some ISO files were rendered useless because they had a bunch of zeros in the middle of them now. Uh, and I was able to, um, to to go around and you know remove the problematic files or mark them for salvage. Now, the only, as it turns out, I don't think I have any serious data loss. The only things I really cared about, the ISOs were disposable, of course. I can download them again if I need them. But the VDIs, of course, contained the hard disk of my virtual machines. So I had, before I realized what had gone wrong, tried to use Windows to repair its own file system. Of course, that didn't work. While the VDI files were living in a host OS with a drive error, drive that was suffering from read errors. But now I had a, a, a um, now I, if I could put the VDI files on a good disk, I could potentially uh, recover them. And indeed, I, I put the Windows 7 virtual machine on uh, another PC of mine, running in Windows actually, and I started it up and it actually, um, booted fine it didn't actually uh i don't think windows tried actually did it appear I, i'm a bit puzzled as to what happened actually because it just seemed to start up fine and i did a, a um a check disk uh, uh, actually i think i did it by right clicking in the c drive and going to properties tools disk check did it that way uh, and it came back with you know, a few minor problems that it corrected. I didn't seem to think there was a, a much of a big deal and it was working again, so that was good. So the next task was to see if I could get my um, Linux partition back onto a good disk and renew it um, as easily as that one Windows virtual machine. Now, uh, 
there's another story here in that I checked online and discovered that my laptop either could take, a, well, what the website said that offered hard drives, it could either take an MVME disk or a SATA 3 disk. And I suspected, uh, looking at the specs, although I didn't know for sure that I had a SATA 3 disk. Actually, I, I should have been able to check in two ways. One with the running laptop, but I wasn't willing to start that up again, you know, until unless I wanted to scrape some more data off it. So I couldn't do it that way. And I didn't remember whether it was MVME or SATA 3. Now, some of you might be laughing at that, but it just never occurred to me to take, take, take a note of it before. Um, the second way, the much easier way with a laptop uh, would that you don't want to start up would be to unscrew the bottom of the case and look at the hard drive that I wanted to change before I ordered it. But I didn't do that because it required, I, according to a video I saw online, a Torx screwdriver, a T4, which is really rather tiny, and I didn't have one. I think I had a T6. Um, now, and I, so I had to, I had to order uh, that, and I had to order the disc, and so I plumped for an MVME disc because that's faster, and I suspected that there would be two connectors for two hard drives on the board. The screwdriver arrived at about the same time as the hard drive, the next day actually, and I opened up the laptop and discovered that there was only one socket to put in an SSD, and it was the SATA 3 uh, kind, which is what my current disk was. So it was a bit dumb of me. I, I think I <laughs> could have uh, done that better. But actually it didn't bother me because I I, um, I just went out and bought another drives this time with SATA 3 and for the NVMe uh, two terabyte drive that I wasn't going to use or I couldn't use on the laptop I bought a little caddy because it's quite a handy thing to have a super fast slim hard drive because uh, of course these SSDs are like you know it's a it's like, you know it's like a tiny pencil case uh, compared to the old caddies that uh, uh, which were about the size of floppy drives um, well, if you remember how big floppy drives, external floppy, <laughs> floppy drives were. Um, so I, eventually I got this new 2 terabyte SATA 3 SSD. It was actually, I think, a WD uh, Western Digital Red disk, which is really meant for NAS drives, um, but they didn't have the blue kind, and I read people saying the red kind was fine, and in some ways might even be better. Again, if you know differently, please let me know, but that's what's in there now. Dead easy to fit, much easier than, you know, faffing it on with two and a half inch uh, uh, units uh, of old, especially in, a, in the cramped confines of a laptop. So it was absolutely, once I'd had the correct screwdriver, it was dead easy to do. Incidentally, the turns out that although the Torque T4 screwdriver did open up the laptop, I actually found that T5 was a better fit. Um, and that after a very short time using the T4, it seemed to grind off uh, the corners of the of the of the sockets that you put it into, um, which is not great. So I, th I think T5. If you've got an Asus ZenBook, it might be a T5 like me that you need. Anyway, I digress. So I um, after I'd installed a new hard drive, uh, which was pretty straightforward, I didn't screw on the bottom panel, which has got uh, one, two, three, four. Eight. It's got ten screws, quite fiddly, so I didn't screw them all back on. I thought I'd just start up the laptop and see if I could see the new hard drive, even though I had nothing on it. And yeah, I could, and it was fine. That was great. So 
turned it off again, turned the laptop over and put in all the torque screws. Then I turned the laptop the right way up, preparing to uh, f uh, format and partition my new uh, two terabyte drive. And nothing happened. I pressed the power button, nothing. And then I, I thought, well, maybe the battery's run out. So I plugged in the power cable. Uh, the power LED didn't come on on the laptop. And I verified there was power definitely coming to it from the cable. That power LED should indicate that it was red charging or white fully charged. It was neither. Nothing happened. There was no sign of life from the laptop whatsoever. And I couldn't believe it. So I went and unscrewed all 10 of these Torx screws. And this is when I'd started to discover that uh, I was um, ruining the heads of them with the T4 screwdriver. Um, and I, I sat and I looked to see what I might have disturbed inside the laptop. I couldn't see anything. I was particularly looking along the hard drive, but I wondered, is there a, a contact? And I, I discovered that when I put the, the bottom plate on, it hadn't quite clicked into place and the screws hadn't quite caught as well as they could have done. So I tightened them all up, made sure it clicked. No, nothing. And then I went to the Asus website and then it said, on this page, uh, support page, it said, if you're having trouble starting up your Asus, blah, blah, book, um, press and hold the power button for 40 seconds. Okay, that's a bit weird, but I'll try that. And lo and behold, after 40 seconds, nothing seemed to change. But next time I pressed the power button, the whole thing burst into life. LEDs uh, came on and it started to boot. Uh, and I booted it up into the live distro again. And uh, that was it. Um, so the next thing to do was, uh, I, after some thought, I thought, I'll just put... The, the image of the old hard disk straight onto this new one. Of course, it won't. It was only about five hundred gigabytes. And this new tera, this new two terabyte drive is two thousand gigabytes or thereabouts. Um, so, but I could fix fiddle, fiddle around with the partitions later. I thought I just wanted to see if it would work, and that you know my laptop would now be functional again. And certainly, I could. Um, I I well, I, I wrote the image um, using DD. I mean, literally, it was as simple as uh, DD space IF equals SDA to IMG space OF equals slash dev slash SDA. Uh, and then I did specify a block size space BS equals 32 capital M. And that was, that's the command. That, that recreated uh, it took about an hour, hour and a half, um, 5,000 seconds, I seem to remember. It was almost exactly 5,000 seconds. And it recreated it fine. Now, I should say that there was some debate about what block size you should use, but I think it doesn't really matter how big it is as long as it's over a, a few megabytes. That seemed to be optimum, and it seemed to depend on your hardware what the optimum value was. But yeah, I wouldn't use, I wouldn't, I would specify it because I think the default is 512 uh, bytes, the size of a hardware block, and that's probably going to slow things down a lot. So I would recommend use, upping the block size. It does no harm if it's too big. Anyway, so after I'd done that, uh, the first thing I did was I boosted up the laptop and Windows. Now, I, I couldn't test Slackware at this point because, as before, the UEFI firmware didn't see an, a Slackware boot option anymore. Um, it seemed to remember Ubuntu had once been installed there, and that was still lurking about, and I'd not taken that off. But the Windows partition was still there and should have been recreated intact. And so I started up in Windows. It was just fine, no problem at all, just like it always been. Um, so I then was able to go into the live distro and 
Well, there's one interesting wrinkle here in that I knew that what I needed to do was use a command called, um, I think it's called EFI boot MGR, EFI boot manager. Um, and I need to tell it, uh, give it a label, Slackware, and also the key thing is where the EFI, EFI file is on the EFI boot partition that's needed to boot Slackware. And in this case, I was using eLilo as it happened. And so I was actually, I could mount the boot from the, from the system rescue live distro. I could mount that boot, mount that boot partition, EFI boot partition, and uh, I could see where that file was and it was intact and fine, no tr not troubled. So I was able to do that. Well, I tried and it wouldn't work. Uh, it just said there are no, I can't remember exactly what it said, but I think it said something like there are no um, EFI boot variables or something like that. I went, eh? Then I realized that there was two options when booting into this live USB. One of them was to just boot the disk. Uh, you know, just said boot, I think it was called a SAN disk, the brand of the USB stick. And that's why I'd chosen. And it turns out that boots it in a sort of MBR compatibility mode. So there's no, it doesn't think there's any um, UFA going on. If I booted it by the thing that said SanDisk Partition 1, then that was the UEFI way of doing things. And then I could use EFI Boot Manager. And, I, and then I did that uh, and I was able to boot up Slackware um, as, it, as it was. Running F, uh, FSCK was the first thing I did. Um, actually, no, sorry, I didn't, I got that wrong. I didn't, that wasn't the first thing I did. Uh, I ran the FSCK, of course, from the Linux Live distro, because you can't run on a mounted partition. Um, and it came back with no errors. So I did that first, and then I booted it into Slackware, and it worked fine. And I was back at my desktop, exactly, almost as if nothing had happened to my laptop. It was really quite uh, strange. But of course, something had happened to it, and I still had several megabytes of zeros scattered about in files all over the disk. Um, so uh, I knew where they were, so I... Uh, I was I would deal with that later, um, and repartition the disk. That's not terribly uh, interesting uh, story. I just used um, G parted uh, on the system rescue live distro to do that, and then copied data uh, around so that I had a new uh, having two terabytes. I could enlarge the Windows partition on that disk and give most of the space over to Linux and um, and have a nice. Nice big, uh, like home partition now, uh, over a terabyte in size, in fact. So, to end the story, uh, uh, the, the ending is happy. And in fact, I'm recording this on the very laptop that I'm talking about using Audacity. Uh, um, and everything is working just fine. Uh, so, a happy ending. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. 
If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website, or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.